Well, good morning to you. How are you doing? In this not summer day. I, I came across this picture. I'm not sure if you'll be able to see it. It says there are almost 5,000 gods being worshipped by humanity. But don't worry. Only yours is right. You can sense the sarcasm. Uh, you can sense... You can sense who it's actually, I, I, this popped up, I found it during Easter time, and you can sense who it's directed towards. Now, it's directed towards Christians, you can see, and what, when we have time, we'll talk about that caricature of Jesus, why it's always painted like that, but not today. And I know I know that we try to, to stay away from controversial topics, thorny topics, topics that are uncomfortable, like this one. It's, we would rather just not be confrontational about these things. And we don't want to be labeled as bigots, as understanding or intolerant, Maybe that's not me. I, I, I appreciate why people want to be polite. I, I thrive in topics like this. This is me. I, I am not confrontational, but I love things that sort of, they are there. They might offend somebody. That's, that's me. And leave th topics like this to me to... <laughs> To tackle. Not that I want to intentionally offend people, but I believe that withholding truth is not loving. Withholding truth is not loving. I will go a, a step further and say withholding truth is as damaging as telling somebody a lie. Amen. I mean, picture if you are not well. And you come and see me, and I'm a medical practitioner. And I know what's bothering you. I know what's eating you. But not wanting to offend you. I just say, go slip it off. I don't want to offend you. Let me withhold truth. Because sometimes that's what we say. We don't want to offend people. We would rather not tell them the truth, but I strongly believe that in this day where we want to be politically correct, I strongly believe that the gospel is still efficient. The gospel of Jesus is still life-saving, is still life-giving. Amen? Because it's not very helpful in the spirit of not wanting to offend somebody that you actually, to their detriment, withhold what is true. Amen? And I know that sometimes we can say there are people who want to use the truth to settle scores. Amen? 
we are not there and I, I am glad that the Bible actually speaks into this and you will see in a minute where actually our Lord set a good example. This is of, I'll share just some principles before we go to our main scripture in the book of Acts. And in this passage, I, I will call this, I have, I have this switched around. This is the second principle. You'll see in a minute why it's the first principle. In the, in the book of John, in the gospel of John, we are introduced in the first chapter where John is laying out that Jesus is the word. And he says, the word Christ became flesh and lived among us. And we actually saw his glory. Glory as belongs to the one and only begotten son of the father. The son who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, who is, and this is where you need to underline, full of grace and truth. Grace, full of grace and truth. That is, that is that's one major principle I want us to look at. Grace and truth. It's those two go together. If you're writing down, those two go together. If grace cannot go without truth. And somebody says, truth without love or truth without grace is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. You got that? You're writing. Yeah. Okay. So then, but this is the this is the this is the first one that I, I have them switched around because it flowed like that. But this is an important one. So in Matthew chapter twenty-two, we see Jesus in a Q&A session with the, with the Sadducees. Now, as we read, I used to think that this group were introduced to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all these people. These people were not the same people. They were not a monolithic, monolithic group of people where it's just, they did not believe the same thing. And when you read it, the Pharisees were the law people. These were the law keepers. These were the holy people. The set-apart people. As a matter of fact, that's what Pharisees means. The separated ones. These were people who were after the law. The Sadducees, on the other hand, these were the... They were a group of people, sort of political, very aligned with the Roman government. They did not believe in the resurrection. They controlled the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and all of that. And I don't know how you can believe and not believe in the resurrection. But they did not believe in the resurrection. And then you find there was another smaller group called the Zealots. And these were the freedom fighters. Then you have the Essenes. They're not necessarily mentioned in scriptures, but they were also there. In this session, in this Q&A session, Jesus is speaking with the Sadducees. The Sadducees come to him, and what do you think they want to ask him? What do you think was the main thing that they wanted to talk to him about? 
the resurrection, of course. They did not believe in the resurrection. So they come to him and they speak about this woman who, you know the scripture, he was married to seven brothers. He marries the first one and they say, but you know Moses said, if the brother dies and there are no kids, you have to marry the second brother. You have read that scripture, right? Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> so he, they say he married, he marries the first brother, he dies, there are no kids, the second, so on and so forth. And their question is, at the resurrection, whose wife is she? And you can see they are trying to mock the resurrection, of course. And I suppose Jesus was supposed to say, okay, you know what, you got me. The resurrection is silly. But he gives an answer. And his response is, okay, in the resurrection, we do not marry or we are not given into marriage. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> There's no marrying. After this, this is it. So if, okay, I don't know where that finds you, but that's where. <laughs> this is it. So no marriage after this. And that could be good. But okay, he, he, he tells them there's no, there's no marriage. But he says this, he prefixes this, and this is the second principle. Or the first one, yeah. This is the main one. He says, you do err, not knowing the scriptures. Your biggest problem is not the resurrection. You do not know the scriptures. Not the power of God. I cannot tell you how heavy this is for me. Because the implication is what? You should know the scriptures. There is no excuse why they did not know what the scripture says. And if you get any takeaway from this, is as believers, we should know the scriptures. As a matter of fact, I can submit to you that wherever God is misunderstood or misrepresented, is because the scriptures are not understood. They have to be it. We cannot play religious games with this. In the world where it's religious plurality, and I, I don't understand, again, when you hear statements like, all religions are the same. If you read the scriptures, you don't come to that conclusion. Amen. If you read the scriptures, you don't find it saying that all roads lead to God. Sorry. Amen. We are there. So this is, this is for me the major principle that really underlines everything. The scriptures. Second one, grace and, and truth. Amen. Now we are finally going to our main scripture. You're still there. So, 
in the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul finds himself in Athens. So what happens is he's with Silas, Timothy. They move from Thessalonica. From Thessalonica, they go to Berea. Well, they went to Berea. Paul leaves them and he goes to Athens. And in verse 16, he is now in Athens. Acts 17, verse 16. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was greatly angered when he saw the city was full of idols. So he had a discussion, he had discussions in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace day after day with any who happened to be there. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to engage in conversation with him. And some said, what could this idle babbler with his eclectic scrap heap learning have in mind to say? This is insulting. That's and if you have ever shared Jesus for any amount, for any period of time, you know insults are free. They will call you all kinds of names. They say, what is this babbler? It's, it's somebody who grabs a little piece of knowledge here and there and you spew like, we're philosophers, what, what can you tell us? Others said, he seems to be proclaim, a proclaimer of some strange deities because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and, and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, hill of Ares, the Greek god of war, saying, may we know what strange new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some startling and strange things to our ears. So we want to know what they mean. Now, I give these guys credit. At least they wanted to hear his part. They called him a babbler, all the rest of it, but they said, okay, we will give you audience. Please tell us. And for that, I give them credit. And then he goes into, this is one of those sermons that he gives I love this because it's, it's recorded lengthwise and you get to hear what then Paul is speaking into this situation. He comes into Athens. His spirit is greatly disturbed. There are tons of idols. Now, he is speaking into the situation. Already he's a babbler, but anyway, they want to hear what he has to say. Verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners visiting, they used to spend their leisure time in nothing other than telling or hearing some new thing. This is not different from our time. Spend our time just, we want to hear what's new, what's trending. Ears itching to hear some new thing. It does not have to have substance. 
as long as it's new. What's there? Just don't tell me about just the good old fashioned thing. And the challenge is even that attitude can creep into church. We want to hear some new revelation. You can't just go to church and hear the word only. There must be some drama. Somebody must fall down, cast half a demon, drama yan. There must be something. But again, I still say, just the gospel is enough. Just, just the gospel in this day is still enough. Now, here is what they call the Sermon on Mars Hill. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the center of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, women were not there, they were shopping. <laughs> they were watching Real Housewives of Athens. <laughs> Men of Athens, I observe with every turn I make throughout the city that you are very religious and devout in all aspects. It has some hint of sarcasm. You are very religious. One could say you are very superstitious. Now, as I was going along and carefully looking at your objects of worship, I came to an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And we learn from extra biblical texts that 600 before there was a plague that broke out, and somebody had an idea let the sheep loose in the city where the sheep stands, if it's next to a shrine, will kill that sheep. But if it's, next, if it's not next to any idol, we will just name it to an unknown God. So he says, therefore, what you already worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. What you already worship as unknown, this I declare to you, the God who created, so now he's going to, he started where they are. This is where you are. We give you credit, you're very religious. Let me introduce you to a God. Their God. He says, the God who created the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by men made by hands. No, is he served by human hands. So he's not saying serve as in serve, but made by human hands. He's not made to be God by human hands. No, is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the appointed times and the boundaries of the lands and territory. So he's making this point that God is not the God of our making. We don't make God to be who he is. And if you take an object 
and make it to be God. Technically, that object needs you to be God. God made us. As a matter of fact, if God created nothing, he would still be God. He does not need us. He does not need creation to define who he is. He is the one who defines creation. So he's making that point that God transcends all of creation. You're still there. This was so that they would seek God. He created all things so that we would seek God. If perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Another great point. For in him we live and move and exist. That is in him we actually have our being. As even some of your own poets have said. For we are also his children. Verse 29. So then, being God's children, we should not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by art and imagination or skill of man. Verse, 20, verse 30. Therefore God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. That is to change their old ways of thinking, to regret their past sins, and to seek God's purpose for their lives. Because he has set a day, this gets uncomfortable, I would think, for them, when he will judge. In the light of this, you understand why you can't just keep what is true. Because he has set a day when he will judge the inhabited world in righteousness. This is where then he introduces Jesus. By a man who he has appointed and destined for that task. And he has provided credible proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. So Paul then says, okay, this is God. This is who he is. We don't make him to be God. It's not silver, gold, or stones. He's not sculpture made by human hands. He's all-powerful, but he's also not far from us. Because you would think a God that powerful has no business with us. But he says, no, he can be found. He's not, too, he's, he's not so powerful that he's distant. And he proved that through his son Jesus. Whom not only did he send, but he proved that that too was God by raising him from the dead. That proves the credibility of Jesus. Therefore, we not, even though God is not visible, we are able to see who he is through his son. In the light of all that, he has set a date where he will judge. Therefore, if that is true, it cannot just be you keep what you believe, I'll keep what I believe. If that is true, 
if it's if it's not who cares but if the heaviness of that is true that message need to be heard that there's actually hope in God's son amen and he says look there was a time when you were ignorant you did not know but now you do because now you're hearing this there was a time you, where you thought this god is unknown but now he's known he has made him known i am making him known to you and i don't know if you are like me and i pray that you're nothing like me but you know when a correspondence come to you either through email or text message you think technically if i have not opened it i have not seen it i cannot be held accountable but once you open it and you read it and you are aware of your responsibility well you can no longer claim ignorance that's that's why the word of god is preached that we cannot just assume people know but once they know there is responsibility and expectation that's what the word of god when you read in the book of acts as peter was speaking it says they were cut to their heart and said brothers what shall we do because there is a response we can no longer be ignorant when the word of god is spoken Amen. Verse 32. Now when they heard the term resurrection from the dead some mocked and sneered but others said we will hear from you again about this matter. So Paul left them. Verse 32. This is also very important. But some men joined him and believed amen but some men there were others who were mocking him everything was fine then they get to the resurrection and it was not making sense to him then they mocked him but it says others believed others believed and i don't know which situation sometimes you find yourself in where you feel like yeah but i i am overwhelmed about these people wherever you it could be work it could be family it could be a group of friends but you get why bother sharing the the odds are so stacked like we don't know how many people believed but to those some they believed the word found something because when you're having conversations with people you don't know what god has been doing in their lives all you know is what you can do at that time and paul could have gotten here and saw all the idols and think these people are so deep in sin whatever i'm going to what am i going to do they have been in this culture for centuries but the bible gives us this some believed 
Because that's how powerful the word of God is. Some people believe. So when you walk into some of those situations, just think, maybe to that maybe it could just be one. It could just be one. But what it is, what's important was Paul did his part. In that situation, Paul found it in him just to present the gospel and leave it as it is. And some believed. Amen. I don't know if you know this gentleman. I, I read his, I found this testimony to be interesting in the light when I was preparing this message. His name is Dr. Francis Collins. He's a very famous physician geneticist. People will read. You can go Google, if you're interested, go Google the Human Genome Project. He used to live that. So, he says, this is it, in his third year of medical school, he did a whole bunch of things, then he decided he wanted to study some more, so he went back to medical school. In his third year of medical school, he's, he's taking care of this old lady. She has a very advanced heart condition. She is going to die. There is no hope. But then, she's having a conversation with him. And she tells him about, about Jesus. And she says, you know, this is where I find my courage. She shares her faith and she goes on and on. And then she says to him, you know, I told you about my family. I told you about my faith. I was hoping you would say something. I was hoping you would, get, you would share your part of the faith too. Then she asks him, Doctor, what do you believe? What do you believe? This is somebody on a deathbed. She is not, I would not think somebody in that situation really would find it in them to share anything. But she says, ask him this awkward question. What, what do you believe? He says in that moment, of course, very, it was very awkward because he's an atheist. He does not believe in God. He says, all I wanted to do was to get out of that world. I just wanted to run up because now he's feeling his face flashing. It's, it's a mess because now this woman put him on the spot. Well, what do you believe? The interesting thing is he did not become a Christian on that spot. But that woman who was dying put a seed in him and he went searching for Jesus. That's how we came to faith. Because somebody took the courage who was not necessarily in a convenient spot but said, 
I'll go out on a limb and ask you, what, what do you believe? She did not know what she was doing. But that set a course that changed the rest of his life. And him as a scientist is able to share his faith with other people. Because that set a course where he went out and seek, to seek Jesus. And then he was able to arrive at a point where he says, I believe. And I don't know where this finds you. It could be, you don't know what you believe. And this is where Paul says, we are presenting God who is not far from you. He can be found. This God that we are preaching is not some distant. We are not introducing some strange God as they thought he was doing. We are not introducing. We are not God. This God that we are talking about is not some add-on type God. Where your God is not working, then you can add him. No. He is the creator of all things. And he is the one that we are presenting to you. And through Jesus, you are able to have a relationship with you, with him. And you, or you could be thinking, yeah, but I believe, but I just don't think that this message is very popular and people will receive it. But how people receive it, that's up to them and God. You simply have to put that seed in there and let God deal with it. And I know it's, man, being a Christian sometimes, especially now, but even then, in that time, it was tough too. It was tough for them. To them, actually, they could be killed. Now it's just a matter of being unpopular. They might not like you, so what? They will call you a bigot. Paul was called a babbler. So what? They, you, it will be embarrassing. But for all of that, we pray that God gives us the courage. Amen. We pray that in our response to this, God gives us the courage to do what we need to do. Because grace and truth still has to be found in us. It's not going to be some angel bringing a message. Paul had to put himself on the spot. This old lady, we don't even know her name. Just simply ask, what do you believe? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you that your word is true, Lord. And even as it speaks to us, we are so grateful that by your spirit we are able to respond. We thank you, Lord, for your conviction, your guidance, Lord, making the word alive in our hearts. We thank you so much. If you're here and you have never answered that question, what do you believe? We would like to give you an opportunity if at the end of the service you can just come and we pray with you. Because this is a great opportunity where you can have a relationship with God. It's not through us. It's him you've been seeking. Lord, we thank you so much. We praise you.
We have confidence in you that you would give us the courage to do our part as we respond to your word, Lord. We thank you so much that your word continues to be alive, continues to correct us and convict us. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.